Don't turn it off now. You need this stuff. Tampa Bay's Tantalk Radio Network. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make their bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Largo Road, near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Diamond P Sports presents the fastest sport on wheels championship drag racing. Seventy-seven NHRA Gator Nationals, Gainesville Raceway in Gainesville, Florida. We're in quarterfinal action of Top Fuel Eliminator, Don Garland against Bob Struckness. Here's an interesting note. Bob Struckness' aluminum body is anodized, the color of the car, a black car, instead of paint, saving approximately 20 pounds in weight. Let's see if it does him any good. its feet for the home state favorite of Don Garlitz and the 20 pound weight reduction may have helped somewhere but in this case it was Don Garlitz wire to wire in quarterfinal racing his elapsed time 5.99 seconds the first five second run in eliminations here today 236 miles an hour Structus, a valiant 626, his speed 231 miles an hour. You can see Garlitz leading by several car lengths as he crosses the finish line in 5.99 seconds. Grant Stoms from East Brunswick, New Jersey, getting pushed back after his burnout. This is the brand new car of GL Rupp and Pat Dakin. Rupp and Dakin team finishing the car just in time for this Gator Nationals event. Unlettered. Practically unpainted at the moment. But Pat Dakin doing very well coming into this quarterfinal round. All cars are being powered now in top fuel at this event by an aluminum racing engine. Three different types in use here. The Keith Black, the Mylodon, and the only Donovan in the field. That's Pat Dakin. appears to have a brief lead off the starting line, but Pat Dakin with a car link victory at the finish, a fine 6.06 second elapsed time, his speed 236 miles an hour. Tonight on Nostalgic Cars and Radios, it's... No, it's Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Oh, yeah, that's right. Hi, this is Dave McClellan, the voice of NHRA. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey, listeners, welcome. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Right to your computers at Google, Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com. If you've missed any of our past shows, be sure to visit our podcast link on our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, GolfStreamMotorsports.com, and Nostalgic Radio Cars. And don't forget to download and use Speed Culture, the Enthusiast Mobile app. And, Bobby, go ahead. Give them the other social media stuff that we do. YouTube at Nostalgic Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and Twitter and Periscope, both at NRC On Air. How about that? Hey, Bobby, how are you doing this evening? 
Pretty good. Yeah, you could teach them a thing or two about running to their computer. Yeah, I could. I could. I could. Yeah, we had a little bit of a problem. Our our, our, our computer blew up today, so that's one of the reasons why we're kind of combobulated here, I guess you could say. Not the computer here at the studio, but ours at home. So naturally, before the show, I generally do a lot of prep work, and uh, this time... I had some problems here. So we have a great show for you tonight. We got two guests coming on because there's two huge, huge. Don't it sound like Facility right now? Or what is that? Fasolo? We we probably should throw that clip in there. It's huge. So there. But anyway, yeah, we got Sebring, 12 hours this weekend, and we got the Gator Nationals, okay? And if you were tuned into the beginning here, we had a little clip from the late 60s Gator Nationals, a little thing there in Don Gartless, uh, you know, our own hometown favorite. As a matter of fact, we were at Amelia Island this weekend, weren't we, Bobby? We were. And uh, they had a special seminar there, which they do every year, and uh, courtesy of our good friend, Bill Warner, who does probably the best, the best automotive event on the planet now i joked about it the other day and i said it was the greatest event on the southeast but uh, i got quickly corrected and quite frankly if you've never been to amelia island you need to go to amelia island It is the event automotive event of events okay i mean it starts out let's see what we do thursday thursday we went to bottom auctions and we watched some of the really cool cars there sell the next day on Friday, we went to Goodings Auction, and we watched uh, another array of really cool cars, including the Seinfeld collection. They sold, or a number of his cars sold, not all of them. And there were some record prices. Now, the um, auction overall results, I was just reading a little report from Sports Car Market just to give you guys an idea of where the market's going, at least with high-end exotics okay, and European cars, was up substantially this year over last year. And, uh, in fact, it was almost double, okay? But we had another auction there this year. We had uh, Motostalgia there. Matter of fact, we went to their auction on Friday, on Saturday. On Saturday evening, we went to their auction. And they had some pretty good cars there. You know, they had some decent buys. So it's kind of funny because the high, high, high-end stuff was still bringing strong money, that being Ferraris and Maseratis and Bugattis and things of that nature. Jaguars did very well. Uh, our good friend uh, Craig Brody, he sold his Pantera for one hundred and ten thousand dollars. It was one hundred and five, somewhere around a little over one hundred thousand for a for a nice, really nice driver quality number three. Okay, number three quality uh, Pantera. But what was unique about it? It was a seventy one car, and uh, it was a unique color. Okay, so a seventy one, seventy two car still has small chrome bumpers, and that's the most desirable. The seventy three, seventy four L cars have the big rubber bumpers. They're not quite as sought after but they're still pantera and you know the u.s cars were 1971 72 73 74 and then anything past 75 is generally european or a gray market car and they built panteras i believe all the way into the early 80s somewhere i have to kind of research my homework a little bit there but anyway Let's see. And then, of course, Goodings, they had the Seinfeld collection. And some of his cars, like a Speedster, for example, which up until now has been about a dollars $300, $325, $300, $325, $350,000 car. His sold for six. Yeah, that's about it. And, again, there could be a Seinfeld connection there, but uh, $600,000 for a, well, I think it was five ninety dollars something is what it hammered for. And I always give the hammer prices. The reason being, and I'll tell you why, is because you look at a lot of reports, and they like to add the numbers. It's kind of like dealerships. You know, dealerships, when you trade your car in, you know, they play games with numbers, all right? Because everybody's in the games, and we're not really in the games. We like the real deal thing. But So, for example, whatever the hammer price is, in my opinion— is what the car actually sold for. The commissions, because in most cases they're negotiable, people assume, let's say, because you know some auctions have a 5%, an 8%, a 10% commission, they throw that figure, that 10% or 8% or 5% figure on top of it, and you really don't know what goes on behind the scenes. So we can really, in all reality, we can say the car hammered for this number. It hammered for 600000 or 300000 or 200000 or 100000 Okay, so that's what it hammered for. The, <laughs> the Bugatti, for example, that was at um, at uh, Bonhams, hammered for $8.8 8 Right, Bobby? You were sitting there. That's true. And your comment was, uh, it's the first time I've sat in a room where one item sold for $8.8 Of course, at, at Goodings, they also had a Ferrari... Uh, 61 California Spider. If you guys remember the movie Ferris Bueller, that was a replica in that movie. But the real one sold for, I think it hammered for $15.4 million. Now, last year, 
at Auto Retro, they found a 6162 California Spider, and it may have been a long wheelbase. Not that a long wheelbase and a short wheelbase is big difference in price, because you know 61, 62, 63, you know, or whatever it is, California Spider is still a very expensive car. But that one, unrestored, unmolested, found, stored, sat in a barn, true barn find story. Since the I don't know 70s, that car hammered for close to 18 and change. So we talked about that on a show last year. So. This one didn't quite do it, and this one was a nicely restored car. So it's really up to the buyers, you know, and there's there's little nuances, subtle nuances in certain cars, you know, and like, you know, same thing with Porsches. You know, whether you got a 911E, a 911T, a 911S, you could have a 911E with a sunroof and all kinds of cool little rally options on it, and you could have a standard 911S. And the E rally option car would probably bring more than the S. So you know, ordinarily an S would bring more. As an example, an Alfa Romeo, you could have an Alfa Romeo, an early 60s uh, Normale, or you could have one that is a, uh, a Veloce, okay? But you could have a real edgy Veloce, but you could have a nice Normale that's got Veloce goodies on it, and it could bring more. So you really have to kind of sit around and kind of look at the cars. And that's why it's very, very important to do your due diligence. Right, Bobby? You are the most patient man in radio. <laughs> I think we need to have him on. You know, April Fools is coming here pretty soon, so we're going to have Rob Bartlett come back on and and do a show with us. But uh, and then uh, Motorstalgia, they had a number of good cars. I mean, that uh, Mercedes two thirty or two eighty SL. I think it sold for you know hammered uh, in the high thirties. That was actually a good good deal. They had that fifty nine Cadillac or sixty Cadillac convertible, an Eldorado Brits, or maybe it had Eldorado Brits trim on it. But it sold. Like in the 60s, which I thought was really a hell of a deal because those cars generally pull close to 100,000. Um, the Porsche 911 that was there, the one that I liked, it was a 1988 commemorative edition with the Ferry, Dr. Ferry Porsche edition, okay, which has got the, the embroidered stitching that says Dr. Ferry in the seats, which we had one of those many, many years ago. And it comes only in diamond blue. It's the only way you can get even though that color was offered in 1977 and 70 and 80, or excuse me, 1987 and 1988, it was a special edition car and it had a special diamond blue exterior, special diamond blue, um, interior. It was actually kind of a pearlish kind of color. It was kind of cool. And we had a Cabriolet. And I didn't really realize at the time how rare that car was because it was one of 270 that were shipped to the United States of about 600 that were made total or 500 and change. So, you know, you got to kind of do your homework on your cars, you know, because you, when I think about all the cars that I've had over the years and I don't, I no longer own them because they've come and they've gone, kind of boggles my mind a little bit too. At any rate, um, let's see. We got uh, – you want to go to the Speed Culture Minute. Speed Culture Minute, let's see what's going on this weekend. Well, obviously, the Gator Nationals and the 12-hour Sebring. Also, this – oh, hey, I liked it. That's good, Bobby. Uh, this weekend is the Cars and Coffee, the DuPont Cars and Coffee. And then Speed Culture is co-hosting down on 66th Street the Meineke – Muffler is that what it is? It's Meineke Muffler Shop. Meineke Auto Care in Pin- Mine- Pinellas Park. Yeah, Meineke Auto Care in Pinellas Park. We're having a little car show down there, so everybody's invited, and you can go to the Speed Culture website. That's SpeedCultureApp.com, and you can find out exactly where it is. However, if you have the app on your phone, you can just download Speed Culture. Yeah, right. And it's available on your uh, mobile iPhone or on your Android. And you will find out exactly where it is because if you click events, it'll take you to the Meineke Car Care Car Show. And it'll give you a play-by-play or basically a GPS uh, directions how to get there. Right, Bobby? Did I say that right? Yeah, because I'm not on the website. Actually, I'm... I'm on the phone! Oh. (laughs) But anyway, all right. So, hey, today's an election day. And uh, I hope everybody went out and voted for our... Our, our good friend there from New York, Mr. Trump, because we're all big Trump supporters here, and we need to get this country straight. Now, having said that, there's uh, two major elections going on that we're, that we're pulling for. Obviously, Florida, we know, is in the bag. Now, Ohio. Now, Bobby, why don't you go ahead and uh, fire up the turntable here real quick, and let's play a little song, and then we'll bring our first guest on the air. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. We got a little uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, I think. Do I have this right, Bobby? Yeah. Ohio. Ohio. I think this is a kind of a fitting song. So, uh, hey, don't touch it. We'll be right back. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Car sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Frustrated looking for car shows? Want the latest in automotive news? How about videos and podcasts? Well, check out Speed Culture, the comprehensive automotive app now available on Google Play and the App Store. Speed Culture brings you motorsports event listings based on your current location. Speed Culture also brings you the latest news feeds, videos, podcasts, and more. Speed Culture, the automotive enthusiast mobile app. For more information, check out speedcultureapp.com and download it today. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer one, and great desserts. They even make the bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. This is Ed Pink, legendary engine builder. You're listening to Cars and Stars. I gotta write it down. This is Ed Pink, legendary engine builder. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and yeah, you're listening to Nostalgic, or is it Cars and Tri- You know, it's funny, because Ed Pink was actually at one of the seminars this week, and he is a super guy, he's a dynamite guy, and he's still building engines. But anyway, since we're on the uh, drag racing kick, um, this weekend is the Gator Nationals, and I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening a contemporary, legendary drag racer himself, and now I believe he's an NHRA announcer as well, Tony Petragon. Tony, are you there? I'm here, Robert. How are you? Pretty good. So, uh, did Ed Pink ever build any motors for your dad? No, uh, you know, I heard the, uh, the the spot that he did, and it got me excited. I, I, Ed Pink is is synonymous with racing, and maybe particularly drag racing. But I think he's from Southern California, and you know, I was born in '65. I was a kid, but I, I remember having an Ed Pink jacket when I was in the seventh and eighth grade. But He's a, he's a very iconic name, and, and uh, my dad knew him well, but he was a great racer and a great engine builder. Super, super, super. So, Tony, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about what's going on this weekend. we got the Gator Nationals, so why don't you highlight a few uh, few highlights for us? Well, Gator Nationals, you know, I, I was asked yesterday what, what is so special about that race, and, you know, I raced um, a Funny Cars. I started in a top-fuel dragster, and this year, if I was still competing, it would have been 20 years that I was in the seat. But, and and I, I'm not going to go from town to town and say this about every market and every, every race that we race at. But, you know, in all the years that I competed in the funny car class, um, I never won the biggest race of the year. And that was the race in Indianapolis. Um, but the Gator Nationals and maybe English Town, those had close to the prestige that at the biggest race of the year for us had. And I think the reason for that is really what the fans provide. I mean, it's just the fact that it's logistically, it's, it's right in the heart of that college town there. But, you know, it's one of the higher attended events, uh, 47 years um, of, of rich history and tradition that the Gator Nationals have been there in Gainesville. So, you know, you look at that, and the fact that it's always been known for a fast track, and the reason for that is because of the elevation. I think it's 160 feet. So what that means for these race cars is the air, the quality of the air is a lot better. And given the right conditions, these cars just they go quicker, they go faster. They're pounding out about 10,000 horsepower. So, you know, sky's the limit. You'll see, you know, cars well over 320 miles an hour this weekend. So there's, there's a lot that goes on at the Gator Nationals. Um, and a lot of history behind it. It's just one of the funner events for us. 
Super. Now, you know, it's funny you talked about 10,000 horsepower. When uh, we played a little bit of a clip from the 66 Gator Nationals, and back then, you know, guys like Garlitz and uh, Perdome and uh, Sneaky Pete, you know, those guys were running, you know, with their cameras and their head, their Hemi motors, they were running, you know, 2,500, 3,000 horsepower, if you were lucky. You know, and today you're talking <laughs> 10,000. I mean, they were running 230, 240, you know, uh, low fives back then, and here we are, three, what, we're running three, uh, Three three ninety something like that. Is that what we're running over three hundred well, miles an hour? They're 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 pushing three hundred and thirty in a thousand feet. You know, several years ago we shortened up the track from a quarter mile to a thousand feet just because not every racetrack that we would go to as the cars evolved and got quicker and faster, that shutdown area became more crucial, and and so shortening up the track gave us an additional three hundred and twenty feet of shutdown area. So so we now race in a thousand feet. And the cars in that short amount of distance accelerate over 330 miles an hour. So if we were racing quarter mile, there's no question these cars would be running over 350 miles an hour. The question is, is would the tires be able to withstand that kind of, of heat and that kind of acceleration and torque? But, you know, 330 miles an hour, that's, that's, um, there's nothing like it. I mean, I've flown in an F-18 jet fighter with the Blue Angels, and the worst thing I told the pilot when he asked me, well, how was the takeoff? I said, well, it was great. It was smoother than I thought. I made the mistake of telling them, but it really doesn't compare to what our cars do. And what I meant was initially, you know, our cars will out-accelerate anything, any piston, any combustion engine, and even a jet, maybe with the exception of those ones that are launched off the carriers. But um, <coughs> about five minutes later, he, I, was, I was getting sick because he made me pay for that comment. Uh, <laughs> You know, zero to 100 in, a mi- in, in under one second, zero to 100 miles an hour in under one second. So it's one of those things that you really have to, you have to see it to believe it. You have to feel it to believe it. And with our sport, with, with NHRA drag racing, I think, I think one of the biggest challenges for our sport is if we can get our audience, if we can get any person that can come out and experience one of these drag races and one of these cars and what they do one time, they're hooked it's just one of those things that after you you feel it you smell it then you can watch it on tv and then you just keep coming back for more so they really blow you away now give us a little we got a few minutes let's go a little bit uh history with you now you started out uh well your big claim to fame was kind of like what you're when you were racing with uh you teamed up with john force right and you actually beat him hired by yeah, hired by John Force. My first race at the Gator Nationals was in a funny car in 1995. I wasn't hired by Force till 96, but I raced for him for eight years, and then I had an opportunity to start my own team. And and uh, you know that was that was a little bittersweet winning the championship as a driver for John, and then I started my own team. And it took me a few years, but I think four years into that, I, I won a championship as an owner and driver. And, and just recently, I, I took the position, um, all the, the TV coverage has been uh, transitioned over to Fox Sports. So a lot of the races will be televised live. And, uh, you know, my new position is a racing analyst. So um, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot different. I'm, I'm up there in the tower calling the races and pointing out a lot of the interesting things that these cars do. And uh, I, miss, I miss being in the seat. It's, it's, I've, I've done it for so long, but I'm still a part of the sport, and it's, it's Still plenty exciting, and Fox Sports has done a great job increasing the viewership and and covering the races. So I'm still here. Sounds good. Now, what was the first car you drag raced? What got you bit? Now I know you come from a racing family, but let's say you personally, what got you bit? Um, well, I mean, early watching my dad, I remember hanging out of the station wagon. But you know, the, my first car when I was 16 was a Fiat, and that was that was a pretty embarrassing car because it was a sedan. It wasn't the cool sports car my second car was a 68 camaro and uh the fact that i never knocked the drive shaft out of that thing trying to race it at the little eighth mile track was probably my first experience going down the racetrack but you know my brothers and i we were addicted to it we used to used to go to the races when we were teenagers and you know it's just one of those things that that uh they say once nitro gets in your blood once you feel it and smell it it it's just it's it's in a way it's addicting but in a good way but it's just exciting you know i I love nascar i love open wheel sprint cars and midgets but there was something about drag racing that it was louder it was quicker it was faster um i've got some friends over in nascar that i talk to once in a while 
So you like racing, you like racing, you like cars that go fast. But, you know, when you talk that kind of power and, and that close racing, um, th- this will be the third race of a 24-race series for us. And um, I think the forecast, it looks like there's going to be some cloud cover and cooler conditions, and that's what these cars like. You know, they're supercharged. Uh, we pump a lot of fuel into them, and we have these massive 44-amp generators that provide the spark to be able to burn that fuel. But what these motors like is they like cool air. The cooler the air, the more oxygen in the cooler air, and, and they just, you know, that's like bringing the, that's like bringing the, it's like fishing with dynamite. These, these, these cars just, they tend to, to go quicker and go faster in, in the cool conditions. And we're going to have that this weekend. And what might be pretty interesting is this will be the first race that the pro stock bikes race. So you have the funny cars, you have the top fuel dragsters that'll go well over 320 miles an hour. Then you have the, the pro stock cars that, that have transitioned to electronic fuel injection. But the pro stock bikes have never run 200. They've run 199.89 miles an hour, and they've gotten close. But I just got this feeling that with cooler conditions, we might see the first 200-mile-an-hour uh, bike this weekend and this is where we saw the, the king of speed kenny bernstein break 300 this was the first time in history it was right here at gainesville so there might be some records that are break uh, broken this weekend who are some of the top names that we're going to see this this time this this round well you mentioned john force so john force will be out with his daughters Brittany and and uh, courtney force and ron caps and and doug coletta and tony schumacher antron bound so you'll see all the the big names in drag racing you'll see all the pro stock cars and yeah, there's so many different things for the families to do. It's it's no longer a race, and it's it's an event. It's a car show. There are a lot of race cars, but the racing action is there's nothing like it. And you buy a pit pass, or rather, you buy a ticket, you get full access to the pits, and you can really get up close and get autographs from all the drivers. And that accessibility was probably one of the things that really drew me to the sport because we used to buy tickets just to get into the races, and we never realized that we could get up close and stand right there in front of the pit for the driver. So it's really, they let kids in under 12 free. And um, it's just, it's an exciting weekend for all of us. I, I fly into town tomorrow uh, just to get up to speed. And Fox Sports will cover uh, one hour of qualifying on Friday evening, one hour on Saturday evening. And then we have a few hours live TV on Sunday. So um, if you can if you can make it out to the race, anyone that's in the area, come out i'm going to stick around town with my family because we always make it spring break we're going to make a little trip out of it but the gator nationals is the reason we go out there and it should be a it should be a very exciting weekend excellent thank you now if people want to find out more about it where do they go do they got a website yeah go to nhra.com all the ticket information is there a lot of the updates a lot of the video clips they keep up uh, everything updated on facebook and and um and twitter but go to nhra.com and it'll give you all the information direction uh camping tickets Everything you need. But qualifying starts on Friday afternoon. Uh, you get two sessions on Friday, and you get two sessions on Saturday. And the final eliminations, race day, take place on Sunday, and they kick off at about 11 a.m. So um, it's fast, it's, fur- it's furious, it's exciting. And if um, if you like excitement, if you want your heart to pound, you got a little sinus problem, come out, we'll fix that with these uh, with the nitro fuel. <laughs> Sounds good. Hey, Tony, I want to thank you for taking a few minutes and tell us a little bit about the NHRA Gator Nationals this weekend. Tony, I look forward to seeing you. I will be there on Sunday. I'll be hanging out there with the Amelie crowd. So uh, thanks again for coming on the show. And, hey, guys, Gator Nationals this weekend. Tony, I'm going to bring you on again one time. We'll do a 30-minute interview, and you can tell the whole story. How about that? I got I got some good stuff um, that, that, that we can talk about, Robert. But appreciate you having me. All right, thank you very much. Hey, guys, we'll be back in a few minutes. I want to thank Tony Petragon for coming on our show. He is going to be announcing at the Gator Nationals this weekend in Gainesville. Bobby, what do you got queued up for us this time? We got some Chicago. Chicago. Oh, man. All right. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Waiting Cars. We'll be right back. We got uh, another guest coming on from Sebring.
First of all, we're going to have our report on the Sebring race, and here we go to my colleague, Bill Fleming. Thank you, Jim. This former B-17 base in Central Florida is the scene of the 12 hours of Sebring. This is Bill Fleming welcoming you to the Grand Prix of Endurance. This is the 12 hours of Sebring. And during the next 12 hours, we're going to have a lot of questions answered that are in the minds of racing fans everywhere. Can the Chaparrales repeat? Repeat the victory that they won here a year ago. Can the Fords win two in a row, such as they did with the Continental? The long road race, this being the second one on the road to Le Mans. And number three, can Ferrari come back after a rather dismal start at the beginning of this year? Working with us is former world's driving champion Phil Hill. Let's get a quick word with him right now. Phil? Thanks, Bill. Well, here we are at Sebring again for the second round of the Constructors' Championship. The shape of speed. Abstract. Brutally beautiful. The sound of speed. Raw excitement. The men of speed. Hard, intense, and fast. From all over the world, they gather annually in a sleepy central Florida town called Sebring the premier sports car race in the United States, the 12-hour Sebring Grand Prix of Endurance. Hi, this is Sam Posey, formerly a racing driver and today a commentator for NBC Sports covering Formula One. And you are listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back. Thanks, Sam Posey. And it's time to introduce our second special guest of the evening. He's the Director of Marketing and Media for the Sebring Raceway. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Ken Breslauer. Ken, are you there? I'm here. Did I did I announce you right? Are you, You're the Director of Marketing and, and, and Media Relations, correct? Well, it's communications and media, and I'm also the track historian. Track historian. Good. Well, that is exactly why I played that little clip from 1966. I thought you'd appreciate that. Oh, yeah, I enjoyed that. So tell us a little bit about what's going on this weekend. We have the 12 hours at Sebring. Yes, sir. This is the 64th running of the Mobile One 12 hours of Sebring. The race starts at 10.40 a.m. on Saturday, and the gates open tomorrow morning at 5.30 a.m., and we've got about four or 500 motorhomes already lined up. Super, super. Now give us a little bit. You said you're the historian, so that's really good, because I've been going to Sebring since 1976, I believe. It was the first time I made it to that event, and i got to tell you, it's changed quite a bit since 1966, and it's changed quite a bit since 1976. So give us a little background. Well, of course, it you know originated as a World War II B-17 training base. It was called Hendricks Field, uh, built in 1941-42. And it's evolved into a uh, racetrack in the early 1950s, and it's evolved uh, constantly over the years. Uh, probably the biggest change came uh, around the year 1999, uh, when a new pit structure was built, a hotel, uh, the track was reconfigured, repaved, um, a lot of amenities were added. Uh, but it still has that character of uh, Hendricks Field. There's still the original runways that are part of the circuit. So it's got kind of a blend of the old and the new. Now the turn 16, 17, before you get to the carousel there, that's still part of the old uh, tarmac, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, the front, the front stretch is actually all original Hendricks Field concrete. Okay, so then when you get into turn one around there, turn two, turn three, they, that's kind of original. And then they took away the hairpin at the end, and they kind of radius that a little bit. But the S's in the back are still the same, right? Yeah, they're, they're the same. Um, the big bend area, you know, which is from the present turn six down to the hairpin, is actually the original part of the circuit. And uh, the back stretch, of course. Now, tell us a little bit about... What originally it was what it was almost five miles, wasn't it? The original circuit was five point two miles. Um, it's now three point seven four, which is still the second longest the road course in North America. Okay, now just out of curiosity, feedback from the drivers and some of the old timers. What are their thoughts on that? Well, you know, Sebring is known as a uh, car and driver destroyer. It's a very, very tough circuit, um, very rough. Um, it's wide, it's narrow, it's concrete, it's asphalt. Um, we run day and night, uh, rain and shine. So it's a real, true endurance test. It's not like a lot of the European circuits, which are you know basically very smooth um, all the way around. Uh, this, this track has a, a lot of character to it. 
Okay. Now, some of the what if you had to go back in time and you had to pick uh, a couple of events, couple seasons that were very notable, what would you, what would you pick? Which you know, let's just take let's take a decade. Let's take the fifties. Let's take the sixties. Let's take the, let's just kind of break it down a decade. So, of the decade of the fifties, and that's the first. Um, what was probably one of the most significant races where, you know, it's just kind of very memorable? Well, I think nineteen fifty six would stand out because that was the year. The Ferrari factory came in for the first time, and the legendary Juan Manuel Fangio won. Uh, and he only raced three times ever on American soil, and all three times were at Sebring. And uh, that race was uh, really memorable uh, with the Ferrari, the Ferrari team winning, but also marked the debut of the uh, Corvette team in international racing. So there's a lot of history uh, for that decade. The 60s, of course, uh, the, the Cobra-Ferrari rivalry was so intense in 1963, 64, 65. Uh, probably the 65 race is most memorable, though, when the Chevrolet Chaparral won overall um, and survived an incredible rainstorm in the middle of the race. Uh, so that was uh, probably the, the most memorable event of the, the 60s. Was that the uh, year that they were actually showing tires were actually floating away in the pit area? <laughs> that is correct. Uh, there was about a foot of water in the pit, and uh, it was uh, it was just a crazy rainstorm. But, you know, back then they didn't have caution flags or full course yellows or red flags. They just kept running. And uh, some, somehow the, the Chaparral survived all that. Let me ask you a question, too, and let's go back to that one, because that particular race was fairly uh, important. It was intense, because Cobras had, they were pretty much dominating at that point in time, but like you said, the Chaparral, Jim Hall's car, is just, uh, he narrowly won that year, right? Well, you know, the the rules uh, changed a lot during that period, and the Chaparral was really, in essence, it was a Can-Am car, and uh, the Ferrari wasn't real happy about the way the Chaparral was even run, allowed to run in the race. But really, to answer your question, the 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 the, the uh, Cobras won the GT class in 64 and 65. They didn't win overall, but they were very successful those years, too. Okay. And then also that year, if I remember correctly, there was no pit wall. In other words, we go out there now and we see that pit wall. That didn't come until later. So basically, these guys are in the pits. And the cars are still going down pit road. They're going, what, 150, 160 miles an hour, correct? Correct. Uh, basically, all you had uh, back then was uh, a line of hay bales, believe it or not, uh, which separated the track from uh, the pits and a lot of other areas, actually. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed when I look at some of the, the <laughs> footage from back then that there was never any mishaps that anybody just veered off and went right into the pit area. Yeah, and you know, they used to have a Le Mans start where the drivers would run to their cars and, and uh, take off. And they did that from 1952 to 1969, and there was never a serious accident or even a, really a, a minor accident. So all those years in that uh, chaotic Le Mans start. Yeah, but I, there was, but they are cool. They, when you look at the old footage, that is pretty amazing how they would just run over there, jump in their cars, and go before they even had their seatbelts on, which amazing. weren't really much. Was. All right. One of the most interesting things in 1966, Dan Gurney jumped into his car and it wouldn't start. And uh, he got before. By the time they got it started, he was a lap down. He eventually led the race. So, uh, pretty amazing. For 19, you know, that goes a lot. That says a lot about endurance racing, you know, because it's it's a game of attrition, correct? Absolutely. All right, 1970 or in the 70s, that decade. What do you think was a memorable race? Well, by far the, the most famous race in Sebring history was 1970, when Steve McQueen almost won overall. Uh, he was in a little Porsche 908, um, and uh, thanks to attrition and steady driving, uh, him and his uh, co-driver Peter Revson actually took the lead in the last half hour of the race, and so the Ferrari team took Mario Andretti out of one of their cars and put it in the second-place Ferrari, and he came and passed uh, McQueen and won the race by 20 seconds. I was just going to say, yeah, it was a narrow, narrow win in 1970. Now, 70s is also an interesting year for Porsche because Porsche pretty much almost dominated the decade, right? Yeah, actually, uh, you know, they won in 73, uh, BMW won in 75, and then starting in 1976, uh, they won 13 straight. Sebrings, which is amazing. 13 straight races. That's incredible. 
Now, in the 80s, tell us about who, uh, or tell us a memorable race for the, for the 80s decade. I think 1983, because it was probably the biggest upset in endurance racing history, a GT Porsche, uh, won overall. At one point, they were 12 laps behind, and because of the attrition, their steady driving, and a lot of bizarre circumstances, they ended up winning. When Wayne Baker, who was driving the car across the finish line, he didn't even know he'd won. Um, so it was just a really wild race. Very, very memorable. Interesting. Okay. 90s? Oh, uh, boy, that's a tough one. Um, I would have to say probably uh, 1992 when um, Dan Gurney uh, and his Toyota Eagles won. Um, Gurney became the, the first driver or person when as a driver and as a car owner. And um, it was a really historic win for Toyota. It was the first win by a Japanese manufacturer in a major endurance race. Okay. All right. And 2000? Boy, that's another tough one. Um, I would probably have to say 2006 uh, when Audi won in a diesel-powered car. I mean, who would have thought that a diesel-powered car could ever win a endurance race? And now it's become pretty much the standard for the top teams. Okay. Um, but that was the debut. It was the first race ever, and they won right out of the box. Tell us about some of the spectacular cars. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Let's go back here a couple of years ago when they had the Delta Wing race. What's your uh, What's your thoughts on that car? Well, you know, the, the Delta Wing uh, in the season opener to this year at Daytona uh, led for a couple hours. was really a dominant car in terms of speed. Um, so they're, they're going to be racing here. It's certainly a radical design. Um, I think they're not going to be quite as quick at Sebring just because of the nature of the circuit. Mm-hmm. But um, the car is uh, its very polarizing. Fans absolutely love it or they absolutely hate it. Now, is uh, Dan Gurney still involved with that? Because American uh, All-American Racing was involved with some of the development on that as well as it was kind of a co-venture with Panos, right? Right, yeah. No, he, he's out of the picture now. It's strictly a uh, Panos operation, and um, they finally got that car sorted out. And it, it's, if it holds together, it's certainly going to finish in the top four or five. Do you think that there's a future with that design? That's hard to say. You know, it, it all depends on the rules. Uh, that really dictates everything. The way things are looking for 2017 and beyond, I kind of doubt it. Um, I think this will probably be the last year the car runs. Okay. So for 2016, the event this weekend, what do you think is going to be the featured car, and who do you think is going to win? Well, uh, the big story, I think, is uh, the, in the GTLM class and the debut of the Ford GT uh, against the Corvette factory team, Porsche factory team, BMW factory team, Ferrari factory team. So that's going to be just absolutely incredible. As far as the overall win, um, it's hard to, to not pick Action Express, the Corvette DP, because they're the defending champions. And when we had our test here a little while ago, they were you know, the fastest car. So I think they have a good shot. But the uh, Honda prototype that one day Daytona certainly has a shot, too. Okay. Now, let's go back to uh, time. So in today's course, it's you said it was a three and a half miles, right? I can't remember. Is that uh, what it is? 3.74. Okay. So to run around that track is what? It's a minute uh, 40, minute 30-something? Uh, right now, about a minute 50 is, is pretty much the top time. Minute 50 is? Okay. Yep. Um, so when you said that the, in terms of times, what's the Ford GT doing? Now, I, I'm a big Ford guy, and that's Canassi's team, right? Right. That's a you know, two-car team from Chip Canassi. Now, they're in the GTLM class, so they're not going to be as fast as the prototype. Uh, right. But they're, they're going to be right around probably two minutes. Okay. And uh, they, they uh, if they have a car sorted out, you know, this is only their second race, but if they have it sorted out, they're, they're certainly going to have a chance. Okay, and now is the is Porsche bringing their car over there? Are they running that nine eighteen nine nineteen? Is that going to be there? No, no, they're going to run uh, the GTLM class. They're going to have their new nine eleven RS, and they'll be up against uh, Corvette and Ford, okay. Ferrari and BMW. So that that uh, is uh, that class probably is going to be the most exciting. Um, of course, a lot depends on the weather too. Uh, that class could win overall if we get a lot of rain, so you never know. 
Okay, because uh, that's the GT car. So, like you said, Porsche and Ferrari right. and Ford. And, is Lamborghini, do they have a car in that? Oh, yeah. They're, they're going to the GTD class, which is slightly smaller GT cars, if you will. And they have five Lamborghinis entered, so they're pretty serious about it. Okay, is that the Huracan? Is that the new one that they're running? Yeah, okay. Correct. And then Ferrari's running what? Are they running the 58 or are they running the new 80, 488 or whatever they call that thing? They have the new the new the 488, yep. The, okay. The brand new, actually. The, this is the, for a couple of teams, this is their debut. Okay. And then is Aston Martin going to be competing? Yes, it'll be Aston Martin uh, in the uh, Aston Martin Vantage in the uh, GTD class, and they are definitely one of the favorites. Okay. Well, I, the GT class has always been my favorite because that's the classes you can most readily identify. Although I think the prototypes, at least back in the day, you know, that's where all the technology came from. You know, prototypes were pretty much kind of quasi-unlimited, you know, but... Uh, right, right. So I is, agree 100%. Yeah. <laughs> is Audi going to be there? Audi will have their R8 uh, LM, which is in the GT category. Okay. And they'll have uh, actually quite a few of them. And they won Daytona in that class, so they are definitely a major player still at Sebring. Wow, that sounds exciting. Now, let's go back. You're a historian. You also wrote a book, too, right? Right. I wrote a uh, history of the the race. Uh, actually, it was published uh, over 10 years ago. We've since done a, a supplement to it um, that kind of updates it, the statistical part of it. Okay. And, uh, if, and what's the title of the book? And if people want to get the book, how do they go about doing it? Well, the, the book, uh, the actual original book is sold out, but the updated uh, version of it, if you will, is uh, called uh, Sebring, the, the Official Record Book of America's Greatest Sports Car Race. And it's available. Just go to uh, SebringRaceway.com and you can order one. Okay. And it's true that Sebring is the first and oldest original road race course in the United States. That, that's, that part's true, correct? That is correct. Uh, when you're talking permanent road courses, we are the oldest. Okay. Now, in terms of road course in general, where was some of the early road racing done in the United States? I mean, what, what kind of holes? Well, in- the, the, the first post-war, uh, true post-war sports car race was at Watkins Glen in 1948. Okay. Now, that was, that was a street race, though. Um, their permanent circuit didn't evolve until the mid-1950s. Um, so... Watkins Glen, you know, Elkhart Glade, which evolved into Road America, uh, Pebble Beach, which evolved into Laguna Seca, uh, were, were the bigger races in the 50s. Okay. The interesting thing is that one of the biggest races in the 50s, sports car races, was at McDill Air Force Base in Tampa. Oh, really? They ran two very big races in 1953 and 1954, and that was the period when the airport racing was very, very popular. And um, that was certainly a major event. And would have that been Colonel LeMay? Was he responsible for that one as well? Absolutely. He huh. was the founder of these races. If people want to find out more about Sebring, how do they go about doing it? And then how much well, are the tickets? Well, go to SebringRaceway.com or call 800-626-7223. And uh, we have all different types of tickets. We have four-day, two-day, one-day tickets, all tickets. All Sebring tickets uh, provide access to the paddock. And also, kids 12 and under are free. Excellent, excellent. Well, Ken, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show this evening. I'm going to definitely have you on again sometime, because what I'd like to do is talk a little bit more about the history. But I need to read up on it a little bit so I can hold uh, an engaging conversation with you, because this is kind of fascinating. (laughs) And then we'll pick out little details, nuances about certain races and certain cars and stuff like that. Now, real quickly, how long have you been with Sebring? Uh, This is my 31st year. 31st year. Oh, my gosh. That's a long time. Wow. All right. Hey, guys, I want to thank my special guest this evening, Ken Breslauer, for coming on with us. Be sure and uh, check out Sebring. Matter of fact, don't just check it out. Just show up there because we're all going to be there this weekend at Sebring. We've got a lot of stuff going on. Gator Nationals this weekend. Hey, everybody, stay tuned for some of our upcoming events that we're going to have posted on our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Don't forget Speed Culture, the automotive enthusiast app. That's where you'll find all the cool shows. And be sure to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Don't forget, if you missed any of our past shows, be sure and visit our podcast page, Nostalgia Radio Cars. Like us on Facebook. And in the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. And we'll see you in some of the shows. Take care, guys. to be
be telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. They broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDTF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You dumb cracker. Oh.